Thank you for joining us on Warrior Women Speak. I'm Judge Rosemary Aquilina, author of Just Watch Me, and I'm joined with my co-host, Sherry Botwin, LCSW, social worker and trauma specialist and author of Thriving After Trauma, Stories of Living and Healing. We have created this podcast for your enjoyment and so that we all can talk about our issues and learn together about how to deal with trauma and those things that spring up in our everyday life. Please join us for every episode and let us know what you want to talk about. Now for the show. Fawn is our immediate response to decreasing or ending or avoiding the danger that we feel. So now you probably are wondering, what does all that mean? From my knowledge, and of course, Sherry, I know you're going to chime in here in just a second, but fight is when you face any perceived threat aggressively. Flight is running away from danger. Freeze is when you're unable to move fast against a threat. And then fawn is immediately acting or trying to please to avoid conflict. And as human beings, you have to think, well, do we really have those responses? Absolutely. Because we know animals do. And really, as a human being, we're all animals. We absolutely have those. They trigger certain parts of our brain. And we have rapid eye movement. There's a lot of responses, but our brain is thinking really, really quickly about how do I handle this? How do I save myself? Your brain really is the core of how do I save myself? Your body wants to save itself from harm. So fight, flight, freeze, or fawn is what we're going to talk about today. And I think it's really a nice add-on to the conversations we've had about Uh, depression and anxiety, because some of these are coping mechanisms and they don't just go away. They're definitely coping mechanisms. And I think with the, with being involved in different situations where you have felt in danger, traumatized, I think now we're gaining more insight into what's the impact of trauma and also how do people, how do people survive through what seems like impossible experiences. So we just heard about uh, the Judd family, right? Ashley Judd just found uh, Naomi Judd. And of course, Naomi had been suffering from mental illness and depression. But what does that now do to Ashley? Does she end up in fight, flight, freeze, or fawn mode? So when I listened to her talk about finding her mom, I would say that was one of the questions that I was asking myself as I listened to her where, cause she, she talked about how she felt traumatized. So which reaction is she having? I think in some ways, and it's hard to tell because I haven't spoken to her, but I think she might be in freeze mode, even though she can, she could sit down and talk with Diane Sawyer. I saw them the, on good morning America on t- uh, Thursday. What I noticed was she had lots and lots of feelings but I think she even said this in the interview, when she talks about it, she can see what she saw when she found her mom. I think in some ways, the second she starts thinking or talking about it, she's frozen in that moment when she discovers her mom and her mom's body. 
So does Fawn have anything to do with this a little bit of how she's able to cope and she's really getting in the public eye, this traumatic event, finding your mother, you know, she's put a gun to herself. There's body parts probably all over. She's traumatized and she goes into this mode and now she's publicly speaking about it. I have to think that Fawn mode goes into there because she wants to mitigate, negotiate, uh, the world coming out and asking a lot of questions and triggers. And she wants to say, Hey, wait a minute. Uh, let's be calm about this. Let's talk about it because she doesn't want to be attacked um, or her family to be attacked or overanalyzed uh, because this is a very sensitive situation for everybody. And sometimes questions can desensitize you and put you into that fight or flight mode. And yeah. I feel like she's a bit of a fawn right now. Is that true? I think it's a good way to frame it. I think she's doing these interviews because she feels like she has to. It's not that anybody's forcing her, but she feels like in order for people to know the truth and in order to protect in some ways, some of the privacy that they're asking for, she's answering some of the questions, I think in hopes that people will back off. And it was also, I think her way of saying, this is what we can tell you, and this is where we want you to back off. But I think in terms of the fawn mode, what I'm seeing is she feels, like you said, she she's a mitigator. She's sort of like in the negotiation. She's trying to figure out what do I want to share? What can I share? And what do I feel like I have to share? And I think in that way, that's where it's very difficult. And, you know, I put myself in her shoes and I think, what, what is she supposed to do? Because when you're in a situation where you feel like you don't have a choice, you're trying to get people in some ways, and this is a lot about what the fawn mode is. When kids come from families where they're terrified about the impact of making a parent or someone angry, and they do what they can to keep people happy, sometimes it backfires. It doesn't always work out the way we want it to. So I was thinking about that with her as well what's the fallout of this for her? She's going on these different networks, she's speaking, but what happens when the interview is done? Is she having flashbacks? Is she suffering with feelings of guilt and shame? Are people saying to her, why did you say that? And why didn't you say that? Because people are very quick to judge. We don't really know the dynamics of the family. So we don't really know what's going on behind the scenes. We don't know what her sister's thinking or, or what her stepdad is thinking. She's trying to do the right thing. And I think in some ways she's trying to do the right thing for her mom, but she can't go back and say to her mom, Hey mom, what'd you think about what I said? Was that okay? Yeah. Well, like so many people, Ashley has been a product of a lot of abuse, um, assaultive behaviors, things against her. She's been very, very vocal about that. But this event with her mom has to be, I would think, not because I'm trained like you, but I want you to weigh in here uh, from my own experience. I would have to believe that this is a triggering PTSD mm -hmm. event for her. I think she probably has some PTSD signs and symptoms she's dealt with her whole life. Uh, she's very vocal. And when I read her history, because I just love her movies and how vocal she is and how she speaks up for women. Yeah. And I have to believe there's PTSD in there and that this has triggered it. 
And so whether she's gone into fight, flight, freeze, or fawn mode, it may be a combination. She really needs, or, and anybody like her, if you identify with her and you've gone through this, I think she needs to seek some help. And I suspect it's out there for her and she knows that. But anytime these responses or PTSD, or you notice the fight, flight, freeze, or fawn mode, if they interfere with your life, if this PTSD, if it's activated and it happens at the wrong times or continues after an event, you really need, if it's too intense to get some help, you need to learn tactics like creating a diversion, relaxation, yoga. We were just talking. I, when I get stressed out and I <laughs> sent one to you and thank, I, I'm, thank you for wearing it, but I make these bracelets. So I sit and I decompress by a lot of little things and I don't have PTSD, but lots of anxiety and things trigger in me from other events because I have stressful days. And so I make sure that I decompress but I think it's a lot harder for someone with PTSD, with having that fight, flight, freeze, or fawn just erupt at the wrong times. That's a symptom. Get help. Yeah. And you know what happens if you're in that phase and you don't know that that's what's happening, that's where a lot of people go into these different types of self-destructive modes. When somebody starts to feel the panic, the urgency, the, the irrational fears about what others are thinking they don't necessarily understand where the feeling is coming from. And that's when they start drinking alcohol or taking drugs. I was talking to somebody the other day and we were having a session and we were talking about how when she's done her sessions, I said, so tell me what you do after. Do you sit? Do you do good things for yourself? And she said to me, no, 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 I, I go for a run. I said, oh, Okay. So basically, I mean, I've, I was so like, she's what? using the endorphin. She's using the endorphins and there's some good that comes from this, but the negative piece is that as she's running, she's trying to get out all of the things that, that were brought up in the session. So it's a combination of, she's trying to take care of herself, but she's also letting me and herself know that the feelings that come up in the sessions may be so stirring up that in a way she's undoing the therapy sessions. Now, again, this is somebody who has a horrific history. Her therapist died suddenly. I've talked about her before and I'm now working with her. So she's not just dealing with what she went to therapy for, but her actual therapist of 20 something years died on her. So I was thinking about, I wonder if there's a part of her when she sees me, I wonder if there's a part of her that's realizing my therapist actually did die. Because again, this was not somebody who was sick. He was totally healthy. He just died one day. So I was thinking about that. Is she realizing, is it is is sitting with me in a session, making it more real? And that's another thing to think about. When somebody goes through something awful, it takes a while to realize it actually happened. It's not like you know it fully a day later. Some people don't know things fully for months, including people like Ashley. She knows what happened. She knows what she saw. I don't know if all of her actually knows. At one point I heard her say, yeah, my mom loves that. She's talking about her mom like she's still here, which is so normal when we lose somebody tragically. So these responses are, they're so normal and natural. But the problem is if you talk about your feelings, if you expose 
yourself and then you go and you try to erase it, undo it, then you keep repeating the cycle. Then you have to keep re-remembering over and over. And I think that's some of what happens when I work with people who are trying to recover, especially from childhood trauma. And they're talking about things that happened a long time ago. Yeah. So I think your patient, uh, by getting those endorphins, it really soothes her because you have brought up things that she can't handle. I I've brought up and we all know my kids were in this bus accident. They're okay. But the trauma from that, um, clearly I have to almost on a daily basis still, and this is a year and a half later, deal with fight, flight, freeze, or fun. And I never know where it's going to come or what's triggering it. But there are things like, um, Marissa will, if I buy a box of Twinkies, uh, she will eat all of them and I buy them for the lunches. And I have to say, you can't do that or, uh, pop tarts or the, the sugar. So she's using sugar to soothe oh. herself, which is also, uh, a coping mechanism. So I have to limit the sugar that I'm buying and we are all working for her to make healthy choices because then the sugar has a negative effect on her and it becomes a cyclical um, behavioral issue because sugar is not good in doses. Sure. Anything's fine for you, but too much has a negative effect, but it in the moment soothes her. And so we're trying to manage strategies for her. I think Ashley's going to need those and Winona and, uh, you know, most people who go through any kind of trauma and you end up in the fight, flight, freeze, or fawn mode need to develop strategies, slow down, be aware of your surroundings, be aware of your actions, look at why, even though I hate that, why, because it shames and blames, look at maybe I should say what is triggering you and what you're doing so that you can take the time to conceptualize what's really happening, sort it from what is not happening. And if you need help to do that, then you need to see a trained trauma therapist. And if you're unsure, I would say, and of course I'm not trained, but I would say, make a list. You know, how are you feeling today? What was the trigger? What was the response? And keep a journal and show it to someone who's trained to work through it. Is that a good idea? I think it's a great idea. I want to ask you a couple questions though about Marissa. Can I ask you a couple questions? Yeah. Because it's a great example. Can you tell us when you say about the Twinkies and the Pop-Tarts, is this happening before she's getting on the bus, when she's getting off the bus? Like when is this happening? So we have not even gone that far to get her on a bus. We are at the phase where we're looking at, well, when she gets on a bus, we will have myself and maybe her therapist or her school counselor on the bus. She's of course, it said, she has said, well, no, I'll just get on the bus. Well, I'm not willing to do that because the triggering when we drive by buses, she is no longer triggered. I'll ask her how she's doing. I'm looking for her breathing, her heart rate. I'm looking at her hands. I'm doing all sorts of things to see, is this triggering? She is so, so much better, mm-hmm. but the anxiety that she has, which can be built up through the days, through her relationships, through her responsing, when she gets home from school, I will see, oh my gosh, the food is missing. Oh, so it's I happening. When she, is it yeah. happening after school? A lot of times it does happen after school. And so I have to check literally under her bed. I check the backpack. Um, Michael does a little bit of it, but he does things like he over uses, um, you know, the gaming, right? He will do that on his phone or on the P4, which I've taken out of the house now. Uh, Fortunately, (laughs) 
I know. I don't know if he's ever going to get it back. I might have you to give it to someone. <laughs> yeah. So, Aww. but you know, he's doing kind of what your client is doing, yeah. or I know what you do sometimes when you stress, you get on that Peloton, right? And uh, just race, race for the gold, right? And so your client's doing that adrenaline rush. Michael will actually grab the basketball. He will go outside and say, I'm going to play basketball. And he will literally, literally shoot hoops until he has gone through whatever it is he's going through. So all of these behaviors, while they're alone, not indicative of an issue, because I know the history, I'm looking for them. And yeah. I'm sure people will say, well, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. I mean, even my mother will say, well, that's good for him. Well, yes, it's good for him, but let's look at the triggers and let's right. look at the change from before the bus accident to now and what is different. You can see and I can way. tell you, yeah, I can see it. I can feel it. Yeah. I can hear it. When he, when I say no to him, he goes into fight mode. The yeah. other day, here's a story for you. The other day I had to take away his phone. And I said, when you take a bath, when you eat dinner, when you get organized for uh, school, I had a, a list of things he had to do. Mm -hmm. You can have your phone back. Mm -hmm. well, he decided that in that moment I was evil mm -hmm. and he was going to fight me. And when he couldn't find the phone on me, um, he decided that he was going to call 911. So about 10 minutes after this incident, the doorbell rings oh. and a police officer shows up. And then I realized what he's done. And I said, Michael, your friend is here. <laughs> and I, and the police officer said, well, we're just doing a safety check. I said, well, I think I know what it is. And I told him. And so Michael comes to the door and he says, what are you talking about? And he sees the officer and he turns pale. <laughs> and, the, and the officer says, so what's going on, buddy? He says, my mom took my phone and she has no right to do that or touch my stuff. Oh. You know? And the officer said, Hey buddy, you don't have a job. Your mom owns the phone. Oh, you need to follow the rules. I didn't have my phone a lot of times because of things like that with my own mom. So Ooh. just follow the rules. And then I said to the officer, you know, he's also threatened because he goes into that fight mode that if I don't give him the phone, he won't go to school. And I said, I've told him he'll have an Uber sheriff ride to school <laughs> or some other place he won't like. <laughs> and so the officer said, yeah, dude, look, <laughs> You don't want me to come back in the morning, do you? Wait, this was actually good that he did yes. this. Oh, he absolutely. And so after that, the officer left. What he didn't see, thankfully, because I should have held my kid in contempt. I'm telling you, I need to do this in the courtroom instead of my house. Um, my son gave him the bird. I said, Michael, it's inappropriate. You're going to say you're sorry, because I'm going to add that onto the list for you getting the phone. Ooh. But you know, this, all of these kind, and then he went and did exactly what was on the list, but that's because he went into fawn mode. Like I better negotiate right. this right. because the fight flight freeze that I've just gone through did not work. It did not work. He well, but maybe he also though, he, maybe he also took in some of what the cop was saying. I think it was great modeling. So. It was great to have somebody <laughs> besides you, his mom, it's always good to have somebody on the outside. And you know, what you're describing too is that when people are in a state where they feel threatened or they feel out of control and they don't have any power, they act in ways that are not, not healthy. They become more impulsive. Some people go out and commit crimes. Some people become verbally abusive. Some people go on a million mile run and abuse themselves in their own bodies. So it's, it's good that you have an understanding 
of what's yeah. happening because you know, he, he didn't even talk on the 911. He just, his control, and you hit it right there. His control was I'm dialing 911 and then he hung up. Yeah, because he knows they're going to come. He didn't have to say anything, but what yeah. a setup for him. <laughs> <laughs> what a great cop. I'd like to know who this cop is. I may need to borrow him at some point because I think when you can, I mean, in some ways what he did, like nobody was hurt. Let's put it this way right. in the sense that on some level, I wonder if he knew if I call the cops, I'm the one that's going to actually look like an idiot, but there could have been a little part of him that maybe knew that if I call the cops, they're not going to take my side. They're going to take my mom's side. Um, but I think that that's the thing when somebody's in this flight or fight, they don't think through their reactions. They just do. And then that's when you at times can suffer the consequence. The one that I was thinking about that I see a lot, I guess this is more in line with the freeze mode. I see a lot that when people are triggered, they go away, they shut down, they go to bed. Uh, I, I know somebody that I'm working with and she's a mom and she's got kids. She's so triggered by having kids because of her history that at, at like seven o'clock, she goes to bed. Mm -hmm. She, and I say to her, tell me more about that. What is that about? It's my way of avoiding. So, and for her, it's a nightly thing. It's become her way of surviving, coping. So one of the things that I need to work with her on is understanding that when you go to bed at seven o'clock now, you're not protecting yourself from danger. What you're doing is you're isolating yourself from the opportunity to connect with your family to be able to realize that the life that I'm creating is safe. But I think because she's got these kids and she's constantly reminded of things that were done to her, that's why she goes away. So yeah. it's very sad. And again, like it's such a common response for people who've gone through and it's not, it, again, it doesn't just have to be something horrific, like an accident or sexual assault. I talk to many people who grow up in families with very narcissistic moms or dads and that kind of crazy making stuff makes them feel like, like they're in a constant state of hypervigilance. I, I, I work with this one client. She just got this new job a couple months ago and it's like her fifth new job. One of the reasons why she leaves jobs, she's so afraid of bosses and authority that she doesn't say what she needs. She doesn't say what she wants. She's unable to set boundaries. So she is sort of like skipping, hopping around because as soon as she gets afraid or somebody even says to her, I need to talk to you about something or I need you to fix this. Instead of hearing it as, you know, the boss is just trying to teach her, she hears it as a threat and she's thinking now I'm going to get fired. So she quits. Right. So she goes really into fawn mode and she, what she does is she goes into, I'm going to be agreeable and I'm helpless. And she's sort of that deer in the headlights. Like I have to make this better for myself because flight fright and freeze isn't working and I can't advocate yeah. for myself. And so she becomes this fawn of whatever I can do to agree. Um, I'm going to, and, and cause I'm helpless in this moment. And I think that's really common for fawn. You talked a, a few minutes ago about your client who goes into freeze mode. And for those of you who are wondering what else, uh, freeze mode is because ultimately our body operates under pressure mm -hmm. or under stress and we go into these modes. So 
my understanding of freeze mode is that you can't fight or take flight. So you freeze. And right. so your body kicks in and it, go, it's, it has this fear mode, which I think you've described really well. You can, your skin can turn pale. You have a sense of dread. You are, your body can feel stiff or numb or cold. I mean, think about the sensories, you know, yeah. look at your five senses and look at those. And you can kind of look at which one of these four, if any, are attacking you or that you're in. And you have a, you can have a decreasing of heart rate or you're sensing um, this tolerated stress and you just go into freeze mode because you can, you feel like you can't do anything else. If you're in fight mode, you're feeling danger and you believe you can somehow overpower the threat. And that's your brain is kicking in this adrenaline that otherwise you might not even have. And we've seen that um, in lots of news stories. Um, some of the signs you can even, you know, your jaw gets tight, you might grind your teeth, you might have this urge to punch someone, you might actually punch a wall or do something like that, that really, and not even feel the pain in your fist. You might have some really intense anger. I've seen that with my son, you stomp, you kick, you cry, you glare, you do all of these things that, you know, you're in angry mode and you get upset and you start attacking um, and then flight mode is, of course, you believe that you can defeat some kind of danger. And how do you do it? You can run away from it, right? Your flight, it, it's exactly what it says, but you can, your body can take over by excessively exercising, feeling fidgety, tense, uh, feeling like you're trapped because your body then in all of these feelings, it wants to say, and I'm going to leave, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. Um, if you have a restless body, it won't stop moving. You know, why is that happening? Well, what is making you feel like you need to run away? I think you need to ask yourself those questions. You can, your eyes, again, look at the senses. Are, do you have darting movements? Are you looking all around? Do you see that in your child or your loved one? Is there some kind of um, sensory deprivation in your extremities um, or numbness where you're just saying, I, I, I gotta go, I, I can't, you know, I, I, I can't be here. Um, sadly, because of this bus accident, I have seen all four of those in my kids and I never know when they're going to erupt. So I've tried to understand them in layman's terms, but visually you can see them. Use your five senses, look at your child or loved one. They're there and get some help. I mean, my kids have been in therapy now for a year and a half. I feel like it's going to be a lifetime, but they are getting better. So be I'm, I'm thankful for that. You need to train trauma therapist. I mean, I would say with something like that, like a bus accident to, in two to three years after they've done work for two to three years, some of these things that you see, the responses, they're definitely going to continue to improve. That's the way I see it. And I think again, um, you know, as you're going through the different physiological responses, because that's what this is, it's a physiological reaction. I guess I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, geez, like I can remember early in my recovery, all those things happened, but I didn't know what was happening. Am I having a panic attack? Am I anxious? Like what the flipping heck is ha happening? And I think to be able yeah. to recognize, I notice it now I can feel, and I think we've all had all different reactions. It's not like I've had one and not the other. I think when one of the things I would say to people is if you are starting to slip into any of these responses, if there's a way you can just sort of plant your feet on the ground, one of the things that I do is 
I stop what I'm doing. I get myself, I sit in a chair, I start wiggling my toes, I start breathing and I start asking myself, what's happening right now? Where are you? Are you here in 2022? Are you activated? Are you worrying about what somebody's thinking? And I notice that I can usually within a few minutes figure out what's happening. And then when you start to name what's happening, what the trigger is, then those physiological reactions that you're describing, the clammy hands, the getting cold, I'll get cold and hot at the same time. I mean, I literally feel like I'm having a panic. I think that's menopause. Hey, now listen. <laughs> I've been there. I've been there. I had that in my bed. When I have I'm to sleeping. tease you. I have to tease you. <laughs> I mean, I'm having that too. That's funny that you say that because at night I'm like, what the flipping heck is this? And I know yeah. what it is. It has nothing to do with trauma. Um, <laughs> I almost, I don't know if I wish it would, but no, I don't. But I think that when you can name and acknowledge and understand what's actually happening, that's part of what's going to happen for your kids. And that's part of what I see with clients and even colleagues that we, when I talk to them about it, you start to experience your life in a different way. So you may start to go into flight mode, but if you recognize it, you can get yourself out of it versus yeah. it's too late because I already like punched the wall, called 911, drank too much alcohol. The goal yeah. is we can't control ourselves from having the response what we can do is we can make a choice about how to react when we know we're having the response. Exactly. So I used to go in bed and not come out for hours, or I would vigorously, and I don't do this anymore, even though I do love my Peloton, but I would just vigorously exercise for hours and just try to get, I would try to get all the, whatever feelings I was having out of my body. I would I also notice, and I feel like people can relate to this. I would start to get so mad at so many people. This person did this and this person did that. And I can't trust this person. So everybody becomes unsafe. Everybody yes. becomes like a perpetrator. My everybody going through that. That's interesting that you say that. And Michael's having some of that with you. There are moments I think where you become the, you know, the evil mother, the perpetrator. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. But yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, it's not you. It's in that moment, what he's feeling that's getting activated and he's projecting it onto you. And that's why yeah. he acts out sometimes. Well, and I see it with people in front of me on the bench sure. and it has, you know, I, I like the backstory. The backstory is the most meaningful part of what I do, because then I find out what the victim's thinking. What's the defendant thinking? How did this happen? What can I do to help both sides? And it's interesting because there are a lot of defendants who didn't mean to commit a crime and don't roll your eyes. I know some people are rolling their eyes, but you know, <laughs> life circumstance brings surprises to people. They can't, I have here constantly, I can't believe I did this. Mm -hmm. I am so sorry. I didn't know. And, you know, I look at what's the backpack on their backs, that invisible backpack of rocks. You can really put labels on each one of those rocks and they have to be lifted out of the backpack with a trained trauma therapist and cognitive therapy. And they have to do sometimes grief counseling. There's lots of counseling and therapy that has to be done so they can unwind it so that they can live this beautiful, productive life that they were meant to live, but they need to be told, this is what's happening to you. And 
I am not trained. I always say I'm not trained to do this, but you work with your secret keeper, your therapist, and you know, they come back and they say, I, I didn't know. Thank you so much for sending me. And I think it's an important revelation to people and a remarkable journey to go through with that trained therapist. But I also want to address one other thing that, and take a step back from our conversation. And that is that fight, flight, freeze, or fawn mode can also bring about in a human being a good response. It can help you perform better, for example, on an exam. Mm -hmm. I mean, you you have anxiety, your pupils can dilate, you can, your breathing can change, you can be sweaty. There's all sorts of these pieces that can go into that that help you actually perform better, helps your brain focus. Because for any of these the four F's, let's call them the four F's, (laughs) your brain is really saying, okay, I'm going to think clearly, I'm going to help you through this. And so it can also be a really great response that your body brings you into to help you pass the exam to help you, you know, cross the finish line in whatever part of life uh, you are experiencing that journey can be the four F's helping you across the finish line for a fundamentally brighter life. Yeah. I mean, it's a good point that you're bringing up because what you're saying is even in some of the worst of experiences, some good can come from it. If we can learn how to apply these responses in a way that's going to produce success, then that would be a great thing. And I think when you were just saying about you meet people and they say in the courtroom, they really had no intent. They didn't mean to do X, Y, and Z. What happens when you're in the response and you're not in your body, you're not making choices that you're going to be able to, to live with. You're making choices in that moment out of fear, anger, and then you're stuck with the consequences. And that's part of what is sad about when you meet criminals or when you meet uh, victims, because I think as human beings, there are obviously some people in this world who are sociopathic and really don't care. But right. I would imagine most of the people, I think about people in my own life who who did some horrible things. And I don't think that they're whole evil people. I think that they're sick, um, unaware, never got the help they needed. There's very few people in this world, I believe that really want to cause harm. And that's the life that they live 24 seven. I think most of the people that we both meet, they have those moments where they're dissociated, where they're triggered and they're not aware. And then they're making choices that sometimes actually end up ruining their lives, which is so sad. Yeah. You know, it's something that I see in front of me. I will look at a defendant and say, you did all this. I know you can do great things and let's not have this define you. So let's have a talk. Let let me understand how did we get here? And they always are surprised by the question. And they realize in those moments that I see them, that I hear them, that I want to help them. Mm -hmm. And I end up with a lot of information that they've never provided to anyone. Their own attorneys will say, how did you get that information? But it's really seeing, hearing, believing, understanding, and really being open to the idea that I'm here to help you. Mm -hmm. The people, some people I have to put in prison. There's just no question for whatever reason. And that's a whole other show. But there are a lot of people 
most people I put on probation and I say, you know, it's a privilege to be on probation and it's to help you. So let's figure out how we can work together to help you, but you have to do the hard work. I can't do it for you. And most people are so grateful because finally, even though they've been arrested, now they're grateful because they now have an opportunity to explore and examine what happened and to finally address it and understand it and live the life they were meant to live. And that's not one behind bars. And I agree with you. Most people are not evil. We are not born to be evil. No, we're born innocent, usually with great big hearts, but then we live life, things happen and it forever changes us. That's when things start to shift for people when something happens. And obviously things are going to happen. Things happen. Most people at this point, I think would say something has happened. And the word trauma is, is used a lot. I try to find other words because that's a, it's a generic word in some ways, but things have happened to many, many people. It's rare that we meet people, whether it's in my office or in my personal life, who has no something horrible, something upsetting, something tragic, feel like it's happening every day. And I think that it's important that as, as we continue to better understand mental health and be more mentally, have more mental awareness, we need to get out there and educate and talk about these things that most people have no idea because this is not stuff they teach in school. This right. is not stuff they teach you when you go to law school. This is not stuff that teachers and the medical workers, this is not the stuff that they're learning. They're not yes. learning about it. And well, and sometimes the four Fs can be triggered automatically without any valid or real reason. And this is where you need yeah. to get some help because the fight, flight, freeze, or fawn responsing is not always accurate. It's really kind of, you could think of it, or I think of it as like a panic button in your brain. And so if that panic button is pushed, then we need to look at why. It could be a phobia, like um, being near water because a friend of yours drowned when you were a kid, or uh, being in a vehicle because you were in a bad accident before. There's lots of triggers, and it comes from phobias or traumas that you've had. And those four Fs help us adapt, but it can then have negative health effects as well. Anxiety, depression, confusion. And when that happens, when it's a wrong panic button, when it's constantly being pushed, you need to get some help from a trained therapist to address those issues. But first you have to recognize them. So ask yourself what's going on. You're the best indicator. Follow your gut. Right. So maybe one of the things you could do for us out here, just because you've been sharing about the bus accident and stuff with your kids, when you learn stuff, when you learn about Marissa's ability to start mastering her um, tendency to go into these different symptoms, tell you can come back and tell us what changed, what happened, what what did she recognize? What did she learn? I am thinking about for her. I wonder if I wonder if there's a part of her that is is thinking things like, why can't I just get on the bus like everybody else? Like there's things that I think we think that we don't even know we're thinking, the shame, the feeling different, the feeling like what's wrong with me? Why am I like this? Is part of also what comes with the flight or fight. So yeah. I'm thinking. I'm not sure what topics we'll be doing as we go. Cause with the two of us, one never knows what, 
Yeah, we talk and then we come up with 10 topics and then we pick one out of a hat, literally. But you know what, what you're saying about Marissa is true because yeah. I have noticed a couple of things and we could actually do another show on it. But like she has a girlfriend who um, I think there's other things going on with her. So she'll say, Marissa, I don't like the highlights in your hair. So Marissa will say, mom, I, I want my hair a different mm -hmm. color. So I, okay, well, then her friend will put the highlights in her own hair. And so I have found that certain friends trigger deep anxiety in Marissa. And of course it's sixth grade, which we know is the cruelest grade and constantly there's something going on. And so I, I friends, um, getting the right friend group, having the right support system, working with the school when these things yeah. happen so that there can be conversations. Um, the other thing is I've gotten her into sports. I've just let her try whatever sports she wanted. Amazing. And I can tell you the adrenaline that yeah. she gets from doing well in a sport or just being out there and hitting a ball. She recently got into Wait, tennis. What happened yesterday? Did she, what happened? Did they win? She, um, I don't know. They're so sloppy. I don't know if they can win exactly. <laughs> But do you even know what that looks like I, in tennis? Cause I could tell you that. <laughs> well, you know what? I couldn't tell because mostly the balls were out. I think that they oh. won, um, out of bounds. I think out of bounds won the game for <laughs> both sides. Um, so, but what's interesting is watching her hit that tennis ball with such ferociousness. Now this is a kid who didn't pick up a tennis Amazing. racket, until, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And I have to feel like her anxiety, because at one point she actually texted me and said, mom, you got to pick me up early. And then I didn't hear from her. So I just showed up and I started watching and she, we actually stayed 20 minutes after the game so she could hit more balls. And I have to believe mm -hmm. that that anxiety that she felt was going right out of her and into the ball. Would I be right? I think 100%. I mean, you can ask her ask her when she hits that ball, what images come into her mind? I played tennis at her age and I can still remember as you're saying all this, I would take that motherfucking racket and I would slam that ball so far. And when I got those winners, I thought things like nobody's going to mess with Botwin. And I was a mess when I was a kid, but being able to pick up a racket and do something that's about having an outlet, but also you're with other people and there's some competition and there it's an, actually, it's a great sport. So I want you to ask her and let me know what I will. She I, I should have asked her. I didn't, but yeah. All right. she, what? I want to know what she's picturing in her mind as she's taking that racket and slamming the ball across the court. Good I want question. to know. She, I will ask her. Okay. So you need to get back to me on that. But I think, um, you know, as we wrap up today, what I, I just want to say to people is that you know this is a topic that's really important to come back to because it's a huge part of the aftermath of going through experiences that left you feeling threatened, taken advantage of, in danger. So I think it's great that we talked about this today and um, hoping that it's gonna resonate. One of our listeners wanted us to talk a little bit more about dissociation and how that affects her in her life as an adult. And I didn't say much about this, but I wanted to just say that dissociation is a reaction to the flight or fight. It's part of what happens. So I know we'll be talking more about that, but I think this was a great conversation. I'm hoping it helps yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. Well, always a pleasure to talk with you. And in closing, I just want to say that fight, flight, freeze, fawn, 
are triggered by psychological or physical threats. And it's a built-in defense mechanism that enables you to quickly and efficiently and effectively defend yourself from perceived dangers. But when there's no perceived danger and that's happening, please seek out some help. And when there's an extreme reaction to non-life-threatening situations, think about how did I respond and seek the help from a mental health professional to look at the causes, to learn strategies to cope, because all of you, every single one of you deserve a bountiful, beautiful, safe life where happiness is what surrounds you every day, not fear. Great way to end. Thanks for sharing that. Thank you. Till next week. Till next time. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us today on Warrior Women Speak. It truly is an honor to be able to sit down with Judge Aquilina and have such meaningful conversations. Stay tuned. Each Monday, we will be releasing new episodes in the hopes that we will inspire, uplift, and instill hope. Be sure to subscribe now to at Warrior Women Speak. Until next time.